So I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 3. This is the fourth in our series. And uh, John and Neil recently outlined the bad news, and I'm going to go over that again a little bit. So I'm going to read the, from verse 21 to verse 26. And uh, after I've read it, I'm going to give a little bit of the context as well. So here we go. Romans chapter 3, verses... Let me just reset that. That's okay. Verses 21 to 26. But now our righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Imagine a dark and stormy day with heavy thunderclouds overhead obscuring the sunlight. Thunder is crashing all around you. Lightning is blazing from the sky. It's very oppressive when suddenly through the darkness comes a bright shaft of sunlight. Not only does this bright shaft of sunlight come, but it bathes you with its warmth. And as you look up, you can see the blue sky. Uh, You feel totally different. Well, this is what this passage is about. As you notice right at the beginning, there's a but now moment that the apostle wants to unfold to us. We heard a few weeks ago as John spoke in the second half of chapter 1, of the book of Romans, we are told about the dire state of humankind. And when I refer to humankind, I'm going to refer to us, because we are part of that package. The dire state claiming to be wise, we are told, we became fools. And God gave humankind over to our sinful desires by the removal of His restraining presence. And in chapter 2, lest we think that we're somehow better than others, the Apostle Paul tells us that When we judge others, we're in effect judging ourselves (laughs) because we've all sinned. So in the first couple of chapters, it's pretty dire news. It's pretty depressing, the state of the human heart. So one of the ways that we as human beings try and compensate for that is we try and improve our moral CV. We try and improve uh, the way in which we, we live. And, uh, you know, we can do that as well when we apply for jobs, can't we? And our CV, we can kind of, if you like, big our CV up. Make it perhaps sound a little bit better than it is. Here's some things that people actually wrote on their CV. Regarding their qualifications, someone wrote this. I have guts, drive, ambition, and heart, which is probably more than a lot of the drones that you have working for you. Someone put this regarding their qualifications. My twin sister has an accounting degree. 
Uh, here are accomplishments I brought in a balloon artist to entertain the team. And languages. What languages do you speak? I speak English and spinach. <laughs> Regarding education, I have repeated courses repeatedly. <laughs> do you have any bad traits? Do you have anything, any weaknesses? Well, I'm very bad about time and don't mind admitting it. Having to arrive at a certain hour doesn't make sense to me. What does make sense is that I do the job. Any company that insists upon rigid time schedules will find me a nightmare. And someone actually gave this as their reason for, for leaving. I thought the world was coming to an end. <laughs> but what we do as human beings is we try and in order to compensate and, and gain approval is we polish up our moral CV. And most religions do this. Most religions draw up a moral CV in order to justify themselves before their God or gods. And... Uh, that happened in Judaism too, and the Apostle Paul talks a bit about that. He says this regarding his own outstanding moral CV. He says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day, plus one, of the people of Israel, plus two, of the tribe of Benjamin, plus three, a Hebrew of Hebrews, plus four, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, plus five, as, as for zeal, persecuting the church, plus six, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, so he hits the mark. But what does he say? But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes you can feel that your, your moral CV is better than others. You know, from my office window, and as I walk into the town center from time to time, I can see the alcoholics who wander up and down Desborough Road. And I can look at my moral CV and I can think, oh, yeah, well, I'm better than them. I don't do the kind of things that they do. I do do this. Here I am on a Sunday morning, for example. I might even put into the offering. I will lift my hands in praise to God. I'm not like those people. And Jesus told that parable, didn't he, about the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee went up to the temple to pray, and he said, I thank you, God. I'm not like, I'm not like these other guys. And Jesus said he wasn't justified. So that's something that as human beings we kind of try and do. We try and put ourselves in the best light. But the good news is this, and the Apostle Paul says it in verse 20, but now, but now, despite our failings, despite our being under the wrath of God, despite our instinctiveness to sin, I was born in sin, David says in Psalm 51. That was my nature, you know, in my mother's womb, even at that point. And I was born sinful, but now, the Apostle Paul says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. You see, our resume of self-justification, however good it may appear, is not good enough, because God's standards are like this. They are perfection. But God has provided justification for us through Christ, a righteousness from God. God gives it apart from the law, apart from our human effort, apart from our seeking to do good. And there's nothing wrong with seeking to do good, but never our righteousness from God, apart from law. We have to get that into our hearts. Because sometimes we can move from that foundation. It's been made known. Something has happened historically in space and time. Namely this, it's the coming of Christ. It's His suffering, His death, his resurrection. We heard this morning, it is finished. 
And perhaps the Lord wants to emphasize that to every single person here today. I don't know what your moral CV is like. But Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. I have done it. I have accomplished it. It has never been and never will be about your accomplishments. It's about what I have done. A righteousness from God. Isn't that encouraging? It's from no other place. It's from God himself. It is what God has decreed in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite kindness, in his infinite compassion. He has decreed a path of righteousness. But now, a righteousness from God has been revealed. And it is through the coming of Christ, his death, his suffering, his resurrection. And we're not just forgiven, but we're given the righteousness of Christ himself. Just think about that for a moment. The righteousness of Christ. What's he like? Wow. His CV is certainly outstanding. Outstrips any other human being's. Perfect, spotless, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amazing. And we're given that righteousness. How does God do it? Well, Paul uses three images here. He uses the images, the images. one of the courtroom, two of the slave market, and three of sacrifice and the sacrificial system. So he says this. He says, we are justified freely by His grace. Well, justification, it's a legal matter. We've got some legal bods in our congregation this morning, so you'll know all about this. Justification, it's a legal matter. So it's an illustration here of the courtroom. So again, I want you to picture you're the defendant. I know you might find that very hard. It may be totally alien to your experience. I hope it is. It might not be, but anyway. You're the defendant. You're in the courtroom. You're in the dock. Not a very nice place to be, is it? You're on trial and the point is this, you are guilty. There is no question of that. But not only are you guilty, you're guilty of the most heinous crime. In this case, it's sinning against God himself. And the penalty for that is death. So there you are. You're in the courtroom. You're in the dock. You're guilty. There's no question of it. There's no way out. The judge has to pronounce the sentence. And the sentence is going to be death. But there is a way out. But now God has provided a way out. And it is this, that his beloved son comes and he stands in the dock. And he takes the full sentence for your penalty upon himself in order that you may go free. We're justified freely by his grace. Freely. Jesus comes and he takes our penalty in that court in order for justice to be done. Because God couldn't say to you, as you stand in the dock, it doesn't matter. It's not important. No, it is important. That would not be justice. Neither can he say, well, I'll let you off. Just don't do it again. That would not be justice. Against the most, the heinous, the most heinous crime in the universe. We all, as human beings, want a sense of justice. You read things in the paper, you hear things on the TV, and you think, that's not just. We all instinctively, as human beings, have a sense of justice within us. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God himself, because he is just. So he is totally just. So he can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not important, just sweep it under the carpet. No. The penalty has to be faced. The penalty has to be paid. And Jesus comes, and he takes it upon himself. The darling of heaven. I love that. He's the darling of heaven, and he comes. 
The one who, in the sublime heights of heaven that we can never imagine, he comes in from that beautiful place where there, is n- there are no tears, there is no darkness, there is adoration, there is worship, and he comes and he stands in the dock, like almost like a bulletproof vest. Your bulletproof vest. He comes and he stands in that dock and he takes the bullets in his heart for you and me. We are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It's like uh, the ancient slave market. Again, here you are. You're a slave. You know, maybe you're chained up. I don't know. I haven't seen that film, 12 Years a Slave, but I've seen enough of it to know it's pretty harrowing. Pretty harrowing. So here you are, you're a slave in the marketplace. You're about to be sold. You've no say over your future. You've no freedom. You're at the beck and call of whoever owns you. It's a pretty miserable existence. You can't marry the person you love. Only look at them from a distance longingly. You're treated harshly, and here you are, you're in the slave market. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus to the rescue. This is the image that Paul uses. And he comes to that slave market and he says, I'll buy that person. I'll have that person. And he pays with his own blood that we might be set free. The redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And Paul further says, God presented him, Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. A sacrifice of atonement. See, in the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. A life for a life. The animal was a substitute for the person. The penalty for sin was death. Someone had to pay the price. In the Old Testament, the animals paid the price. But they were pointing to a greater sacrifice that was to come. And God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. To pay the price for the sin against Almighty God. And Jesus comes and pays that price. We know that once a year on the Day of Atonement under the Old Testament, the high priest would come and and a goat would be sacrificed and he would take the blood of the goat into the innermost part of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And he would come and place this blood of the animal upon the mercy seat in order that the sins of the people would be forgiven. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus came himself and presented his own blood, not into the inner temple, but into heaven itself, into the holiest place in heaven, before Almighty God, that mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He comes and he presents himself, presents his blood as a sacrifice of atonement that we might be forgiven. Not much wonder Paul is saying, but now. Yeah, the news is bad. It's terrible. The human heart is depraved. The human heart is desperately wicked. The human heart instinctively turns away from God. The human heart instinctively suppresses the truth of who God is. The human heart is instinctively in complete and utter rebellion against God. Make no mistake about it. That's the place that you were in. You know, we polish ourselves up. I'm not so bad. I'm not as bad as them, you know. We brighten ourselves up a bit. We get the old brasso out and, you know, polish our halo. But actually, that's false. It's completely wrong. 
Every single one of us born in utter depraved sin. I know it's difficult for us to believe. Here we are sitting in prosperous South Bucks, you know, with good jobs and careers and futures and nice cars and nice houses and satellite TV and sophisticated we are and we vote conservative and maybe you didn't, I don't know, but <laughs> caricature, I know, but there you go. <laughs> you know, and we're not so bad and it's not what Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, we're totally, utterly, completely, hopelessly depraved in our heart and our thinking. It's just the way we are naturally. But now, but now, have you got hold of that, that but now? How do we get hold of this? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Simple as that. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. All you have to do is believe. It's all simple, brilliant, foolish even. But that's what, how God has designed it. And even the faith that we have, God gives it to us. See, the Bible says here, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. I just feel we really need to get hold of this. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, in, in telling you this, I'm not seeking to put you under any kind of condemnation. Far from it, because there's no condemnation now in Christ. I'm just trying to bring clarity to where, we're, where we were at and where we're at now. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person sitting in this room, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Fact. It's like an archer aiming for the target. So there's the target. Imagine that that TV screen is the target, and I get my... And that's the glory of God, and I'm aiming for that, and I fire my arrow, and there it goes. <laughs> All have fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the glory of God. We haven't appreciated it. We haven't uh, reflected it in any way, but we've obscured it. But now, what's this glory like? Because I don't know about you, I would like some of this. Yeah, we didn't miss. We fell short of the glory of God. But now, but now there's an opportunity to experience that glory. Now there's an opportunity to be touched by that glory. I don't know about you, but I would like some of that glory. Not in order to big myself up, but I want to experience something of that but now. But now things have changed. But now things are different. Because of the coming of Christ. Because of what Jesus has done. But now something of the glory of God can be experienced by every single human being who believes in the work that Jesus has done. I want to experience something. To know something. Not just read it in the book. Yeah, it's great to read it in the book and I can be encouraged by that. But I want to experience by the Spirit as well. Something of the glory of God. So I've been thinking about that this week. What's the glory of God like? Well, in the Psalms it says this, Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. So I began to think about this. If the heavens display the glory of God, well, what's that all about? Well, we have day and night, don't we? In the day, the sun comes out. Is it still out? No, it is out. We might not see it. But the sun comes out, and we can see. We can see color and the wonders that God has made. Now, thinking about the wonders that God has made. Have you seen anything of the wonders that God has made? I'm going to ask you a question now. I have a little bit of involvement here. 
Do you have any, just out of curiosity, do you have any kind of favorite animal? I don't mean your pet at home. I just mean a kind of favorite animal that you like to see or you would like to see. Maybe you've never seen one. You thought, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see. I've never seen. I'd like to see in the wild if possible. But failing that, I'd just like to see it. Any, anybody? Panther. Giraffe. Ah, yeah, giraffe. I knew that. Yeah, Neil. Anybody else? Elephant, yeah. For me, it's a tiger. I don't know why. I just Something about the tiger is beautiful. Uh, William Blake said, didn't he? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? There's something dangerous about the tiger, isn't there? Something incredibly beautiful. I was in India a few years ago with Neil and Stuart, as it happened. And uh, we were in a central India in a place called Hyderabad. And I was perusing the English newspapers while I was out there. And I saw that there were white tigers in the zoo in Hyderabad. And they just had cubs fairly recently. And I just thought, oh, it'd be really nice to be able to go and see that. I mean, that wasn't the purpose of going. But you know what I'm like. Maybe you don't. But anyway. Um, and then the guy who was uh, in charge of us said, oh, you've got a free afternoon. Is there anything you would like to do? And I said, yes, I'd like to go to the zoo, please, if possible. So they very kindly, I, I don't know what anybody else wanted to do on that afternoon, but never mind. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to go to the zoo. And so we went to the zoo. Do you remember, Neil, did you go? Neil, did you go? You did, okay. Went to the zoo to see the white tigers. And I remember they were on an island in the zoo, and they were surrounded by like a moat. And when we got there, the, one of the tigers, it was a hot day, was swimming in the moat. And I uh, went to see the cubs. The cubs, were, they weren't tiny. They were about that big. And I think there were two of them. And it was just beautiful. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's something about, you know, it brings the light. The sun comes in the morning. It brings the light and it reveals something of the glory of God and the splendor of God. Or at night, under a cloudless sky. If it's a cloudless sky tonight, you'll see a crescent moon. The heavens display the glory of God. You might even be able to see some of the planets. You might even be able to see Mars. It's like an orange, like an orange little light up in the sky. The heavens display the glory of God. Again, I watched, um, I know some people here have seen the northern lights. Some people may have seen the southern lights as well. I've never seen them in uh, real life. I'd like to see them, perhaps one day, who knows. And, uh, but I did watch a, a clip on YouTube of the northern lights. And that was amazing. These shimmering curtains of uh, iridescent light coming down, and it's all to do with the sun's uh, rays coming, something, anyway, cosmic stuff going on that hits the Earth's atmosphere and causes all this shimmering curtains of light. And I watched this clip on YouTube, and the people who were filming it said this. The guy, one of the guys who was filming it says, I can't believe what we're seeing. I can't believe what we're seeing, he said. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe what I'm seeing in one sense. See, the Son of God. See, ultimately, where do we see the glory of God? Yeah, we can see it in the heavens and in creation. But actually, ultimately, where we see the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where we see the glory of God. And like that guy on the YouTube video, I just think, I can't believe what we're seeing. This is what we're seeing, something of it anyway. The Son of God, he comes and he's born into a humble family. Just the son, son of a carpenter, you know, working class, laid in an animal trough. Can you imagine that? You mums who've given birth to your kids, 
Do you imagine laying your firstborn child, or even any of your kids for that matter, in an animal trough? It's unheard of, isn't it? But here he comes, the Son of God. Not much wonder the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. He comes as a servant, even though he's the King of kings, crowned with many crowns. He doesn't have any worldly wealth. He's got no car. He's got no satellite TV. He's got, you know, he's got no jewels. He's got no gold. He's not got a Rolex watch. You know, he's not wearing Gucci shoes. He's, you know, he's just an ordinary guy. No worldly wealth. He even associates with the rougher element of society. You know, the sinners, the prostitutes, the ne'er-do-wells, the no-hopers, the also-rans, the time-wasters. <laughs> associates with them. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He faces up to the rejection and the hatred of the political and religious power brokers of the day. You know, if the, if the power brokers have it in for you, if you imagine in this country, you know, if MI5 was on your case, you know, they went through all your bank statements, they altered stuff in your bank statements, they, they set everything against you. You know, if the Secret Service was not, if the government suddenly had it in for you, went through all your tax, changed, hacked into your accounts, changed stuff in it in order to totally misrepresent you because they wanted to form a case, an iron cast case against you and put you in the slammer forever. This is what was happening to Jesus, the power brokers of his day, the Roman establishment, the religious hierarchy. They had it in for him, and they didn't mind how they did it. This guy says he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. He never said that. He was talking about his body. You know, you're a Samaritan. You're a half-breed. No, he wasn't. He wasn't a half-breed. It was a lie. He was totally, utterly, completely framed. This guy's come to overthrow the Roman government. No, he hasn't. He's come to establish his own kingdom. They framed him. The glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he dies an ignominious death on a cross like some common criminal made to carry his own cross and hung between two criminals. And even there, he gets no peace and quiet. They mock him, disrespect him, and his mother's standing there. Can you imagine it? His mother's standing there, and they're still slanging him off while he's hanging on the cross. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's where we really see the glory of God. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now. But now. But now. Jesus has opened the way for us to enter in. And in fact, Jesus says in John 17, I have given them the glory that you gave me. And the Apostle Paul says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. But now, yeah, we did miss the mark. We did fall short of the glory of God. We were condemned, rightly so. We were in the dock. We were guilty we were on the slave market. There was no way out. 
We were under penalty of death, but now, but now, because of what Jesus has done, you and I can experience something of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, that glory is absolutely transforming when it touches our hearts and it touches our minds. We can be transformed, even this morning, as we worship together, even this morning, as we listen to what God is saying to us, something of His glory can touch us and change us. Amen? But I do appreciate that we have this treasure in a clay pot at the same time. Sometimes we see more of the clay pot than we do of the glory. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but when you look at yourself, do you sometimes see a little bit more of the clay pot than the glory? And there's a lot of clay pot there sometimes. Do you feel that? Hmm. Yeah. I must admit, when I first became a Christian, it was a bit like, I saw my life a bit like a graph, right? A line graph. So cast your mind back to your school days. A line graph, you know, you have the x-axis and the y-axis on the graph, yeah? Looks something like that. And then you have a line, maybe it starts at the bottom. So when I first became a Christian, my line graph started at zero, okay? And this is how I imagined it to go. I just imagined it to go like this. Till I got to heaven, incrementally, just like that. Easy, isn't it? Yeah. That's how it goes, the Christian life. You know that, don't you? It's as simple as that. You start at ground zero, and then it just gradually you get better, improve, less clay pot all the time, every day, yeah, until you get to perfection. Yeah? Well, I've since discovered that it hasn't quite worked out like that. You know, that there is a bit of clay pot around, and God is still at work in me. And I have vulnerabilities, I have insecurities, um, I have clay pot attitudes, I have clay pot thinking, I have clay pot deeds. But nevertheless, God has begun a good work. And it's true of you as well. God has begun a good work in you, and He's going to bring it to completion. That's part of the but now. You know, from being steeped, absolutely soaked, absolutely drenched in darkness and sin, God is going to transform each and every one of us. And He's going to transform us through the glorious work that His Son has initiated in our lives. He's going to transform us until that great day of the Lord. And that's His purpose. He who begun that good work in you is going to bring it to completion. Do you believe that? You see, one of the points of telling you all that about the graph is this. Because it brings me back to this fact that what I need today, what I need today, what you need today is exactly the same as what you needed when you were at point zero on the graph. What did you need when you were in point zero on the graph? Think about it for a moment. What did you need? This is what you needed. You needed God's grace. That's what you needed. You needed God to break through in your life. You needed God to initiate something. Now, maybe you're a week down the line. I don't know. Maybe you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the line. I don't know. What do you need today? What do you need today? You need exactly the same. You need grace. You need grace today. I need grace today. I started on that foundation of grace. I started on that foundation of but now. I want to continue like that. So I found that increasingly my prayers these days are this, Lord. Please will you give me mercy and grace today? 
I need your mercy and I need your grace. Please, will you give me grace? I don't know how to deal with this, uh, this situation. I just need your help here, Lord. Please, can you help me? Now, I know that the Lord can give us wisdom and stuff like that and experience and degree of maturity over the years. I appreciate that. But at the same time, I don't want to move from that foundation. I need your grace, Lord. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I can do nothing. I need your grace. I need your kindness. I need your love. I need your mercy today. Is that true for you? But now, it's a massive statement in more than one place in the Bible. I want to ask you this question. What about your own personal experience of but now? I once was lost. Can you say that? But now I'm found. I was once ignorant of my need for a Savior, but now. I once used to live as I pleased, but now. I was once an enemy of God, a right blasphemer, but now. I was once completely indifferent to what I was hearing about God, but now. I was once the unfriendliest person in the world because I had such issues in my life, but now. I was once bound in sin and darkness, but now. I was once addicted to this, that, and the other, but now. Do you, have you had but now moments in your life? Have you had but now experiences in your life? Because that is what the gospel is about. It's about but now. God has done something. It's the righteousness of God, and God places upon us the righteousness of His beloved Son. It's not just a makeover job. It's not just a polishing up of our character, but it's giving us freely, undeserved, the complete and utter righteousness of Christ in one fell swoop. Not having to be earned over a long period of time through good works, but you're given it now. But now, at this very moment in time, have you got hold of that truth that but now God has given you not just any old righteousness, not just improved you a little bit, but He's given you the very righteousness of His beloved Son Himself, who is absolutely perfect, flawless, never said a thing wrong, never did anything wrong, was eternally good all the time, blessed many people, poured out the Spirit upon people, gave His life for you and me. That's the righteousness. The adoration of heaven was Christ and He came and for our sakes He became poor that we might become rich. Have you experienced the but now of the gospel? Have you experienced the but now? Maybe even today the Lord is speaking to you and saying, you need to have a but now moment in your life. And I'm offering it to you. Here it is. I'm laying it out. It's freely given to you by my grace. But now. See, not only does God declare us guilt not guilty, gives us that righteousness of his son. Do you live, I want to ask you this, maybe you've been a Christian for some time, do you live in the goodness of God's mercy and grace towards you? Or do you feel, do you labor under the fact that you feel you're never quite good enough? I'm never quite good enough. I'm never quite getting there. Well, Jesus has got there for you. That's the but now of Christianity. Jesus has got there for you. Yes, we wrestle with a clay pot. We'd rather not have the clay pot. We'd just rather have the treasure. But we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. And until we get to heaven, we're always going to have that earthen vessel. There are always going to be issues that we're going to be wrestling with. There are always going to be challenges in our character that we're going to have to overcome. But nevertheless, but now I have the righteousness of Christ. And so do you if you believe and trust in Him. Amen?
I think Jesus deserves a bigger round of applause than that. Come on. It's about him. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, maybe today is the but now moment in your life. For you, perhaps things in your life have been leading up to this day. I don't know. I lived as I pleased, but now. I was totally indifferent, but now. I didn't realize that I was in a sorry state, but now. I thought I wasn't too bad, but now. I didn't realize that Jesus gave his life for me, but now. 